Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intelligence, forecasts, and success strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for joining us on one of the radio stations, iTunes, YouTube, or the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. Today we have a cool show for you. We're going to talk about the office market. We're going to look at, see how 2016 wrapped up, what to expect in 2017, and moving forward. We're going to look at property performance levels. We're going to look at cap rates. Uh, we're going to look at REITs. And we're going to look at tenant strategies and some tips on some technology for your office properties. Please welcome my first guest is Walter Page. Walter is Director of Office Research at CoStar, and he's joining us on the phone. Walter, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Michael. So, Walter, what happened in 2016 in the office market? Well, 2016 was a good year. It just wasn't quite as good as 2015. I think 2015 is going to go down in the record books as being the best year of the real estate cycle for all property types. But 2016 was, was really good. Um, the highlight was we reached a business cycle high for occupancy or uh, a new low for vacancy. The vacancy ended up the year at 10.4. Uh, that was down from 10.7 a year before, and it's well below the long-term average of 11.3, so that's good news. Uh, rent growth for the year on a nationwide basis was 3.2%. That's well over 2.1% inflation that we had over the last year, but it's down from 4.4 in 2015. Uh, part of the reason why we had lower rent growth was we had construction. Uh, and that construction was capping the rent growth, especially in some of the tech markets and energy markets. Uh, a market like, for example, San Francisco, which had been going at nearly 20% rent growth, the CBD has slowed to less than 4% rent growth over the past year. Uh, obviously, Houston is also seeing a slowing in uh, uh, rent uh, gains and, and actually probably some declines in that particular market. Okay, so 3.2% rate growth uh, overall in the U.S. So how does that compare to historic numbers for rate growth in the office market? Okay, so at the last investment cycle back in 2007, mm -hmm. we hit over 8%. Mm -hmm. So this investment cycle peaking out at 4.4 and getting 3.2 over the last year, Clearly less than we had last time, but you also have to remember we have less growth and we have less inflation. So it's still, it's, it's still a very solid number, just not as solid as some of the historical uh, numbers at this point in time. Okay. What about the different classes, Walter? Uh, so the flight to quality is continuing unabated, uh, and, and it's actually quite amazing. Um, Currently, the, the top quality space, which we call four- and five-star or Class A, is growing at a demand rate of about 1.8%, which is more than double the uh, lesser quality space, which is growing at 1% or less. Um, now, what's interesting about this is that in this particular cycle, the lesser quality space, the, the B-type space, in the last cycle was performing very similar to the top quality space in terms of net absorption. This time there's a really wide gap as tenants really want nice space and, and the demand is totally there. Right. And, and everybody's hoping that uh, they have a good economy ahead of them. <laughs> they want some, some nicer space, right? So well, what about CBD versus uh, suburban? Any uh, differences there? 
Now that one is 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 really interesting. Historically, you look back at CBDs, or at least in this recovery, CBD market had been getting one to two percentage point higher rent growth than the suburban markets, and that number is is you know shrinking um, tremendously. Uh, it's it's basically the same now across the markets, mm. uh, and what's interesting about that is the cause. Uh, in the CBD markets, we've had a disproportionate amount of new construction activity. So, for example, in Chicago, 75% of the construction activity is focused to downtown. That's double that the fair share. Well, we see that same thing happening in Seattle, Denver, Washington, D.C., Los Angeles, which is just amazing, uh, even Philadelphia. So, you know, that concentration of construction to the downtown market uh, and just the level of construction that's ha- starting to increase across the board is leveling the playing field across uh, the various markets. Right. That's interesting. So it's really helping these suburban properties perform better. Yes. Okay. And so you mentioned new supplies. Uh, what are the levels of new supply out there today? All right. We currently have 138 million square feet of office construction underway. That's up from about 130 million square feet from uh, a year ago. Uh, across the markets, the, the market with the most new construction underway today is New York, uh, 19 million square feet. Uh, but on a percentage basis, the market with the most new construction is actually San Jose. They have 10 million square feet underway, representing 9% of stock. Um, the level of construction that we have right now represents about 1.6% of stock. At the, uh, at the other end of the construction activity, you can go to a market like San Diego, and we only have 0.4% of stock underway. So huge differences in the amount of construction happening across the markets. Uh, and roughly two-thirds of the markets have construction activity that is uh, above the historical averages. Okay, we're talking with Walter Page, a co-star, about the office market. So, Walter, what's all that mean for projections moving forward? What do you expect per, for performance in the office market in uh, this year and moving forward? So, we expect relatively flat to improving vacancy levels over the next two years. So, right now we're at a 10.2% vacancy rate. We think that the market will bottom out at about um, 10.2 from 10.4. Uh, in sometime in 2018. So that means that there's still a little bit more recovery time in the market. We expect that the rent growth last year was 3.2, should be t- between 2.5 and 3% for the next, let's say, three years. Uh, and, and, and in general, we, we expect a, a fairly normal market uh, with supply and demand in balance and, and things working pretty uh, well. Uh, the exception probably will be Houston um, because of the energy bust that's happened down there. Okay. So slightly less rent growth. So what are some factors that may impact uh, the office market moving forward? Uh, is there any um, change in your projections for uh, office demand from the Trump presidency? I think it was a surprise to a lot of people that he won. He's talking about potentially uh, reducing corporate tax rates. Does that maybe mean more jobs, which is, is great for office market? We really don't think that there's going to be huge changes to um, real estate demand 
just because of the Trump presidency, although it could happen in particular locations. So, like, one of the factors that we're hearing about is more defense spending. Uh, the number one market for defense spending is suburban Washington, D.C., uh, which is a market that has been uh, not performing very well. So that could be something from the tr- Trump presidency. The other trend that we see from the Trump presidency is a rise in interest rates. Uh, and that rise in interest rates could have an impact upon uh, pricing and things like that going forward. Right. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. Well, are there any certain markets uh, that are having troubles or uh, markets that maybe surprise you that are doing so well? Well, let's, 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 let's focus on the positive first. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, some of our favorite markets are, are generally in Southern California and Florida. Uh, that's principally because of a lack of construction activity. Uh, I would fill that in with a little bit more of like uh, markets like Nashville and Minneapolis and Boston also um, look really good. Uh, where we have concerns is generally where there's a lot of construction activity. Uh, so, for example, in Washington, D.C., where they have over a 14% vacancy rate, which is really high by their historical standards, they have 10 million square feet underway today. Wow. And, and that would be uh, a concern. For us, right. Well, that's interesting. It'd be interesting too to see what happens, what Trump's able to do, and how that impacts the economy, how it impacts jobs in the market uh, moving forward. And uh, stay tuned. We're going to talk some more um, with Walter. We're going to talk about cap rates and what to expect moving forward. There, we have rising interest rates, maybe improving economy. We'll see. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today we're talking about the office market 2017. My guest is Walter Page with CoStar. And, Walter, let's talk about cap rates. So it seems like the investment sales market's been been pretty hot. What do you see for cap rate trends in 2016? In 2016, we saw totally flat cap rates, <laughs> at least according to our data. Mm-hmm. Um, for the institutional quality properties, we're seeing cap rates around 5.7%, virtually unchanged over the past year. And we're seeing 7% on average cap rates for uh, the median of the market, which I would call the Class B type property. And that, again, was relatively unchanged over the past year. Yeah, that's interesting. And so why do you think uh, they're they're not changing? Well, I think the growth prospects as we go forward is um, diminishing as we expect uh, lower rent growth uh, in a lot of markets than what they've had in the past. Uh, the other expectation is that uh, the expectation is that we're going to have rising interest rates. And we've since uh, the election had a, a spike in interest rates. And, and I think that was somewhat anticipated by the marketplace. And what do you expect moving forward for interest rate increases? So interest rates well, the 10-year Treasury went up by almost 100 basis points since the election, so that's, that's a huge thing. 
what we've seen is a flattening of the forward futures curve. Uh, what, today, the the forward the ten year Treasury is between two five and two six. Uh, we expect the ten year Treasury to uh, hit the three percent level sometime in late uh, two thousand. 18. So that's only 40 basis points over the next two years, which really is not a huge uh, increase in, in um, interest rates. Uh, so basically, fairly level uh, playing field on that aspect. Well, that's interesting. And uh, I think a lot of investors uh, in commercial real estate would, would like hearing that. So what do you expect moving forward for cap rates then in the office market for the next year or two? Okay, so because you have a rise in interest rates, you're, you're, you are likely to get some rise in cap rates. Um, but we think that the pass-through rate of the increase in interest rates is going to be relatively small. So we're forecasting on a nationwide basis between a 20 and 30 basis point increase in cap rates over the next two years. Uh, that would equate, if you didn't have any change in your NOI, that would equate at a 5.7, 5.8 cap rate, Today, that would equate to about a 5% drop in value. Most likely, at that same time, you would have NOI growth um, that would offset that and basically result in relatively stable property values. Right. And that's banking on interest rate increases to be pretty low, really. Yes. Yeah. So um, if Trump's presidency creates an opportunity for some inflation or, or some growth and, and the Fed decides to bump up uh, those a little faster, then I guess the jury's out? Well, then the pass-through rate is going to increase um, because if it's over and above what is expected in the marketplace, then we would expect um, there would be more um, pass-through, probably 50 or 60 percent of whatever above the ex- expected uh, increase was in interest rates. Okay. And what do you expect for demand moving forward for office investment properties, Walter? It seems like the U.S. is still considered a safe place to invest in uh, real estate. And uh, I think a lot of people feel pretty comfortable with uh, uh, the office sector in general. Okay. So let's just recap what happened in 2016 first. So in 2016, we saw a 9% decline in office sales on a nationwide basis. This is part of a broader Thing of where we saw 11% decline in the overall U.S. real estate market sales volumes. But you've got to take that in perspective because 2015 was the top year for all real estate sales in the industry as a whole ever. Now, for office, it wasn't the highest ever, but it was the second highest ever. So that's that. Now, going forward, we got two factors in, in play here. One, rising interest rates uh, will suppress sales. Uh, but we also have increased foreign demand for U.S. real estate. And uh, I was recently reading an article from JLL, and they're saying that that increased foreign demand is going to be a, a key driver of um, demand for office and, and general real estate in the U.S. Uh, going forward. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And, and typically, it seems like foreign investors are interested in the major gateway markets, but uh, they're also showing some interest uh, in secondary markets, aren't they? Uh, we've seen over the past year, uh, you know, the decline in sales volume was really concentrated in markets that people perceived as having some risk. 
So Houston sales volumes were off 50%. Um, San Francisco had some sales volumes that were off in the neighborhood of about 30%, and New York also. And part of that is those markets have had a lot of construction. In contrast, a lot of the second tier and smaller markets have had increases in sales volumes, um, principally because they don't have a lot of construction and the perceived risk from some of those markets is not that high. Right. And before you have to leave us, Walter, can you leave us with a tip for an investor or an operator in the office sector? Uh, Well, a general tip is that we are seeing a leveling of playing field between CBD and suburban markets. So, um, and we expect that 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 leveling of playing field in terms of total returns will uh, carry forward in the future. Uh, So, you know, you can look in in all ports and and probably find a, a reasonable deal. Right. Well, very good tip. And as usual, great information, Walter. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. If you'd like more information from Walter, visit CoStar.com and stay with us. We'll have more on the U.S. office market for 2017. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. Check out Valuate, a real estate analysis program that can be easily shared with colleagues online to do what-if analysis. Visit GetValuate.com. That's GetValuate.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today, we're talking about the office market. We're looking at update. We're looking at forecasts for 2017 and beyond. You know, and one of the ways to invest in the office sector is uh, through office REITs, right? Through through the stock market. Well, please welcome my next guest, Stephen Marks. He's managing director with Fitch Ratings, and he's joining us on the phone. Uh, Stephen, thanks for being with us. Michael, thank you very much for having me. And I'd like to ask you, uh, Stephen, about office REITs, how they performed and how they're moving forward. But just briefly, before we get started, um, you know, investing in the office sector uh, can have some benefits if you're a market investor, right? And then eat, REITs in, in, in particular, you know, they have that dividend, right? That's right. REITs, REITs as, as tradable securities, they, they trade on an exchange, um, no different than any other any other stock, uh, corporate industrial, uh, so on par with IBM and, and other other corporates. Uh, there's upwards of now almost 20 REITs that are in the S&P 500. So there's been much more of a of a market acceptance of of the REIT as in some ways as its own asset class. Right. And let's talk about office REITs. So how have they performed, say, in 2016 uh, office REITs compared to to other REITs, and then maybe to the market in general? Sure. Just just on in terms of overall stock performance. Uh, the the offer suites did did pretty well for o for o sixteen. They uh, were one of the best performing sectors in in the REIT space, upwards of uh, over twenty percent total return. Whereas the overall REIT space was around uh, ten or eleven percent, and and the office REITs return was roughly on par with the broader S and P five hundred. Wow! Wow! That's amazing. So, what do you expect moving forward? Well, what's interesting is that if you looked at a, at the stock diagram of kind of a of an office index uh, for the shares, uh, they were pretty much uh, on par with the broader the broader REIT index for the first nine months of the year. And then uh, post election, uh, the office REITs uh, did, did very well. They, they dramatically outperformed the broader market. And I think part of that is is a perception, or perhaps it's ultimately going to become become a reality that a that that post election there's there's much more uh, confidence, corporate confidence. Increased job growth, uh, it views that there's going to be more job uh, office using employment, which is the ultimate 
driver for office demand is office using employment. And so uh, we expect that 017 will, will be a good year. We think office relative to all the other asset classes for REITs will be will be middle to the upper upper part of the pack. Yeah, that's interesting. I think, uh, you know, you look at what Trump says he's doing, and I guess what he's already started doing is, you know, reducing regulations. And then if he's able to reduce the corporate tax rate uh, and corporations have more money, they have less regulation, then I guess everybody believes that uh, they're going to create more jobs, right? And that really helps the office market. That's right. It, it's a big part of it. It's, it's multi-pronged uh, view on this, which is, which is your right. Uh, reduction in corporate taxes means, means – uh, Corporations will. There's a view that they will they will grow as opposed to dividending out or, or doing uh, share buybacks, and they will actually reinvest in their business, which does mean more jobs. Number one, uh, number two, uh, is to the extent that there is a pullback in regulations, and in, in particular, for instance, in, in New York, where I'm based, there's a view that that if there are reductions in or pullbacks in items such as Dodd Frank or the Volcker Rule, that that the financial institutions and the financial services sector generally, which is the big engine of, of office growth here in New York, will grow uh, much more quickly than it has the last four or five years when, when the regulations really came into effect. And you saw that, that sort of the, the higher-paying um, financial services, financial institution job growth um, was not that robust. I think there, there's a view now that, that there could be uh, pretty strong growth uh, here, particularly in New York and some of the larger, the larger um, financial industry markets. Right. And you mentioned Dodd-Frank and, and potential regulations there softening and making money flow, right, for commercial real estate. So how, do you really think that's going to happen? And is that uh, a catalyst for the office market to, to improve? I mean, you know, it's like I've talked to you before. We talked about multifamily. There's there's a lot of financing um, from Fannie and Freddie uh, out there. But for office market, you know, some uh, lenders may have been skittish before. May money be easier in 2017? Well, we think uh, in terms of overall uh, level of, of financing in the office space probably isn't, isn't going to be driven so much by, by views specifically tied to the election. Um, we think it's more going to be driven. In fact, I mean, the, you could look at it on the flip side. I think the, the SEC and um, some, of the, some of the regulatory bodies have come in saying, uh, that regulate the banks saying, saying, hey, you need to look at your uh, lending exposure generally, and in particular your commercial real estate lending uh, exposure specifically. So that is uh, sort of un, you know not tied at all to to a Trump presidency, but more so tied to uh, sort of broader regulatory uh, themes and where we are in the cycle. So all that is to say that that we don't expect there to be uh, sort of a, a boom in office lending necessarily. If anything, we think there might be a bit of a pullback. We're seeing more CMBS. Uh, regulations or new CMBS structures that had to go into effect at the tail end of last year um, that could curtail some some CMBS uh, lending as well. Okay. We're talking with Stephen Marks from Fitch Ratings, and we're talking about the office sector. We're talking about office REITs. So, Stephen, there's a lot of talk for office users um, using less square footage per employee. You know, people working at home, people having uh, different hours, people sharing desks and things. And so I know a lot of the tenants that, that we represent, you know, they are looking to try to put more people in less space. So how do you look at that as far as the impact on office and office REITs? It, it, we view it definitely, definitely as a negative. Uh, open floor plans, telecommuting, uh, th- things like that uh, are, are going to eat away at overall office demand. And so uh, while there is definitely more of a push with, with millennials and creating more of a, a collaborative workspace, um, so in many ways 
it, it's sort of the, the up-and-coming generation sort of wants this type of environment to work in, something that's warm and, and communal, um, and it's not people in cubes or in offices. So um, now that could work on the flip side, which is to say that a lot of companies are saying, okay, we will provide these spaces for you. We want, we want everyone to be in the office. We don't want people telecommuting. We want people to have a reason to come in. We want there to, it to be an inviting place for people to work. Um, so it, there's a lot of cross-currents in it, uh, sort of a, a push-pull, um, but we think that it, it, is, it is, all things considered, probably a net negative um, for office demand. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see as companies move forward how that adjusts, especially as there's more competition for, for talent, you know, uh, and if you're a big producer at your company and you're a great employee, um, do you really want to be in a bench with your headset on? <laughs> we'll see <laughs> moving forward and how that impacts productivity and, and health and all the wellness things going on. Well, Stephen, what else might impact office sector and, and office REITs moving forward? Well, one, one thing that's interesting, and, and this may be more so focused on kind of the, the key, key gateway markets, some of the, the coastal markets, but uh, there's a view that, that uh, the technology sector is slowing down perhaps, uh, you, know, you know, talk around lower venture, venture capital funding. And we're actually seeing quite the opposite. Um, venture capital funding is up. There, there's, a, there's a big uh, tech IPO in, in the market right now sort of uh, validating the concept that, that technology is certainly not going away. Uh, it's sort of a little-known fact, but, but uh, Google's second-largest office concentration is in New York. Um, so some of, the, some of the key gateway coastal markets are, are tech centers, and then when you even go down to some other markets like Austin and the Research Triangle down in Carolina, uh, technology is certainly not going away. Technology, more, probably more so even than financial services or financial institutions are probably going to be the drivers of, of demand going forward. So um, to the extent that, that a given market has, has good or emerging tech exposure, it's probably a good thing. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And it's funny you talk about venture capital and, and watching that and thinking about the future impact on the office market. Very, very good information, Stephen. Thanks for joining us. Certainly. Thank you very much, Michael. And stay tuned. We're going to have more on the office market update and forecast for 2017. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. Are you in commercial real estate brokerage? Check out Apto. Created by and for commercial real estate brokers, Apto is the leading web-based platform for managing relationships, properties, listings, deals, and back office. Visit apto.com slash CRE show. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today we're talking about office update and forecast for 2017. Look, one of the most important things about the office market are the tenants, right? The companies occupying the space and their employees. How well are they doing? So let's take a look at that. Please welcome my next guest, Francina Price. She's president of Global Planning and Programming with Champions IFM. And uh, Francina, thanks for joining us here in Studio One. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a privilege. Well, you help companies with their space design and with their furniture and with the how it how it looks and how it works. So I think it's so important today. So the first question I want to ask you is 
What are some of the, the challenges you get uh, when, when people are, are, are in this process? What are the challenges in some of the, the when people are looking to change their office space? Um, generally, I look to see if they have a change management plan. Um, most of the time, uh, tenants or customers are looking to make changes, but they don't know what's driving the change. Now, how do I know I need a change management plan? Um, well, uh, you do need a change management plan, and part of that is trying to understand what it is that the employees need more so than where the business is simply going. And so the change management, what it does is it invites the users into the process of developing this new awesome facility. It makes sure that their needs are being met. It makes sure the functionality and opportunities for efficiency, uh, probably ways that things weren't working so well, you can kind of figure out the hot spots and it puts people in seats that can actually address those issues because they're on the front line actually doing this work. Um, what I've seen from being a facility director in my past is we would make changes based on the executive leader's direction. And we would make those changes and design these wonderful spaces, but we didn't really hear what the people in all the various departments really needed to make their jobs better. Right. So let's talk about that a little bit. So if I run a company and I'm looking at my space needs, what kind of team do I need to put together? Um, I would say that every department in your company needs to be a part of that team. Now, of course, there are multiple levels of the team. You have the stakeholder, right? That would be the more executive level, but you also have the daily users of the space. So if you have seven departments, there should be representation on that team, that sub-planning team from all those departments. Your HR department needs to be definitely included because we need to talk about people and culture. So we need to understand what the culture of your company is, what types of changes you're making. Are you considering any recruiting things like talent, the millennials, all of these other things that are important that we sometimes skip over when we talk about structure, a physical structure. So the soft part of the process, the people, the touches, the culture, you know, what, what's really driving your change? It's not that I, I have more headcount and I just need a bigger space, but if we get a bit of bigger space, could we change our culture? Do we really need this much footprint to do the work we need to do? Or can we remote work? Can we change up uh, people's work-life balance a little bit? You know, so when you get into those discussions and you hear from the people doing the work, then you get a different dynamic for um, your facility. You may be able to save some money too. Yeah, and I like how you called it sub-planning, right? Yes. So if you've got a, a lease renewal coming up, a decision, and maybe you have to give a, a year's notice before the lease is up, uh, so you might be contacting a tenant rep like me a year, or depending on the size, maybe two years yes. ahead, but they really need to start with your process to do the sub-planning, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Because that really helps me understand. If I go out, uh, most of the time, when I'm working on a project, there's a lack of planning. There's a mm -hmm. lack of anticipation because most people don't realize you need at least 18 months into mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. You know, most of the time they show up at six to nine months and they want to be in the space. Well, right. I haven't really considered the people that work here if I've done that. I've mm -hmm. just kind of looked at a bottom line. I have a cost per square foot that I want to pay. I want to reuse my furniture. It's all these hard things, right? But the biggest asset that you have is your people. And so you really want to integrate a change management process a year in advance saying, hey, what is it that we're changing into? Right. Why are we making this facility change? You know, and right. look at it more from people than you do just physical structure. And what are you seeing, Francina, about 
the companies who are trying to squeeze more people in the less space. You know, we see that people are, are we're getting more employees per square foot. And how is that impacting uh, the use and, and the way these companies are operating? Well, I've, I've actually worked on some of those projects. And so there's, there's mixed feelings about it. I think when it's executed well, um, because you have a change management process where you've considered what part of your population could be more remote work, You've considered how many can work in an open work plan without it being a confidentiality issue or a privacy issue or a legal issue. So when you go through and you really assess the work that you're doing or where it is that you want your company to go, then you can make a better decision. And so it's not that the open plan less square footage per person is a bad idea. You just have to do the due diligence to determine if it's a good fit for your organization and where you're trying to go. So again, you gotta talk to your people. Yeah, that's good advice and do that planning early. What are you hearing from companies about wellness and how important is, is wellness to these companies and, and the people who own the buildings? It's, it's major for a lot of these companies. Again, they're attracting uh, healthier audiences, right? There's a different uh, person out there, an employee that's out there. The younger people want more work-life balance. Some of the older people are saying, hey, I at least need to get up from my desk every so often and work. And so a lot of companies that I'm working with are building small wellness. Now, they consider wellness gyms. They consider wellness prayer and meditation rooms or quiet rooms, making sure that there are mother's rooms where uh, women who are having families, there's an opportunity for them to have privacy and space to do the things that mothers need to do <laughs> while they're taking care of their infants. And so wellness as a whole, it's about health. And so if my employee is healthy overall, mind, body, and soul, then I get a better product out of them. Again, it still goes back to the people and you can't really have a great real estate plan if you're not really talking to the real real estate, right? right? The royal part of it, which is the people. Right, and I think that's a good tip if you own a building or manage an office building to kind of look at the wellness factors in your building. Yes. So that you can emphasize that uh, with tenants and in your uh, leasing process. And it process. needs to be attractive and it needs to be current and it yeah. needs to be up to date because I've had situations where they have a facility, but it's not, it's stale, it's not current. They're not keeping up, they don't have a refresh program. So I would suggest to building owners, create a refresh program for all your amenities. Don't have equipment that's outdated or equipment that's not properly working. Have a diagnostics program where you're getting this equipment maintained and checked up and you know, uh, make sure there's a good safe place for people to work, um, work out after hours. There's a nice security on that facility. Cameras are there, you know, of course. So uh, sometimes people don't feel safe in buildings. And when I go out with tenants and they're looking for space, because a lot of times I'm, I'm on the front end of the project, because I have a facilities management background as well, I'm always looking for safety measures too, right? I want to see, do you have on-site security where the camera's posted? You know, um, is there a guard in the, in the facility? How often does your security team roam the parking lot? Because people don't work traditional hours anymore, right? Yeah, right, that's true, that's <laughs> so true. So you need to be safe. All right, and I want to have you back in and uh, let's do another segment on and some do go over some examples of some projects in Atlanta. Uh, before we do that for our national show audience, what is a closing tip that you would give companies who, uh, to when they're looking at their space needs? Um, I would say the most important thing for you to be concerned about is make sure that space can grow with you for all the different things that you see yourself strategizing as a business. Don't 
get into a space that fits today, yeah. but it's really not going to fit tomorrow. So right. your proper planning on the front end, take the time, make the investment, plan on the front end, and it's a good investment. It's just like with your money, right? You need a money plan, you need a real estate plan. Right. And so I would just say plan, do better planning, and then it, you know, it's a good um, investment for you long term. Right. That's an excellent tip. And a tip I would give is just start earlier. Start a lot yes, earlier yes. than you think you should. Professina, thanks for joining us today. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, stay tuned. We'll have more on the U.S. office market forecasts and strategies. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Excelligen, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking about the office sector. Now we're going to talk about some important technology. If you own, manage, develop, or lease office space, you want to know about this. Please welcome my guest, Doc Doug Lauder. He is VP with Boingo. Doug and is joining us on Skype. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Well, talk to us about technology inside these buildings. I know one of the things that I looked at when uh, I look at when I'm tenant repping an, uh, an office tenant and we're looking at buildings and we're headquartered in Atlanta and we go in these buildings it's real important to us that you know when you go in the parking lot and we go up the elevator and then we're in the space that the phone works and if you get dropped in these areas it can really cut down on the connectivity of your people right yeah and you hit the nail on the head there's uh in the world of commercial real estate especially in the office category the tenant reps are becoming incredibly educated about uh, technology and its importance for driving a good experience for their tenants and within their businesses. Uh, several trends are driving this. First and foremost is just that mobile data consumption, whether it's over Wi-Fi or cellular or any technology, is increasing at an incredible clip. Uh, Cisco puts out an annual report of just how quickly it's happening. And they expect connectivity, uh, mobile data consumption to increase eightfold over the next five years. So it's just, it's incredible. And so that's that's trend number one. Uh, trend number two is, you know, the clever and creative ways that office space is being designed now. So the interior spaces are more open, uh, closer quarters, more people per square foot. And when you put more people in a building, there's going to be more data consumed, coupled with the trend of more data being consumed per person. So kind of just amplifies or, or exponentially grows the amount of consumption that's taking place inside these buildings. And then third and final is, is the way the buildings are being built. There's uh, a lot of push to drive expenses down, to improve insulation, put more efficient glass. And while those technologies, those techniques keep heat in, they keep signal from the outside out. And so you have this kind of uh, you know groundswell of, okay, if the signals aren't getting in from outside, if the technology is unable to serve what we need from the outside, we're putting more people inside. The people that we're putting inside are consuming more, then uh, therefore you have just this need to bring a lot of that technology in. Uh, and as building automation, internet of things, uh, heating automation, all those things kind of come to life inside these buildings. And as more real estate owners try and differentiate by providing a unique experience for potential tenants, 
uh, you just, we've just seen this massive uh, groundswell of, of, of people coming in to try and solve this problem. Right, and it makes sense, uh, and it can be a challenge uh, because you know we've we've had some office tenants that we represent, and we say, well, let's talk about running our, our phone lines and having your phone plugins. No, 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 we don't need that. All our people are going to use their cell phones. That's right, and and what you used to see is companies having phone plans uh, and 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 desk phones, as you said, and. You know, they they'd pick a carrier for you, and you'd go out, and they'd they'd issue you your Nextel push to talk phone, and you were happy as a client to get a free phone out of it. Uh, you know, fast forward to today, and most consumers, most workers, just don't accept that. They want to have a family plan. They want to share it with their wife and their kids, or their husband and kids, and they really want to choose. They want to be, you know, they want to choose their device. They want to choose their carrier. They want to choose their payment plan. Uh, and businesses have had to adapt. And so just having great service or, or having a good wired connection for one carrier or, or with Wi-Fi that was exclusively for the company's devices and hardware just doesn't work anymore. And so more people are coming in with, with open platforms that allow for choice, and that's caused even greater consumption and even greater need. So if you own an office building, uh, you're developing one, uh, you're managing one, know that tenant reps like me, when we come in and show the building, that we're using our cell phone and we're checking it in the parking lot, we're checking it in the elevator and in the space because these companies now have are mobile. Everyone's mobile. And if you're on the phone with a customer or a client, you want to go from the car to the parking lot, up the elevator, into the space, you want the phone to work. So Doug, what is the solution? So the solution is to bring the solution inside the building. So historically, penetration into buildings came from outside. There'd be a cell tower down the street that was servicing the entire neighborhood or the entire office complex, or even antennas on the roof uh, that were intended to provide service not only for the, for the building which they're on, but also the surrounding buildings. And frankly, that's just not enough anymore. And so what a lot of sophisticated building owners have started to do is bring the solution inside, bringing the antennas inside. Uh, you can place them indoors just as you would a Wi-Fi network, uh, Bluetooth, anything, you know, any sensor-driven uh, network that you want to install can be brought inside. It can look as inconspicuous as HVAC or sprinklers. Uh, and really, it's, it's, it's leveraging a lot of the same infrastructure that already exists, a lot of the same risers, conduits, et cetera. Um, but really, it... it, it amplifies the signal and brings it inside. And so that's really what, what uh, distributed antenna systems or DAS do. Uh, there's also newer technologies right behind DAS, uh, small cells that are you know, kind of more tuned for smaller buildings. Uh, but basically all it does is it takes the carrier radios, brings them inside your building and rebroadcasts them throughout. Okay, so what would be a typical cost? Let's say I have an existing building, and it's a sixty thousand square foot building. I'm hearing from tenants and tenant reps the, that this is a challenge. Uh, and what, what would be a typical cost and procedure and time frame to set up a system like this? So we typically, the cost can vary greatly. Larger buildings have greater scale, so the cost tends to come down on a square foot basis. Whereas smaller buildings, you have less scale, so it tends to be higher on a square foot basis. Uh, a good range, depending on, on how bulletproof you want the system to be, is somewhere between a dollar and four dollars a square foot, uh, which I understand is a big range, but taking the scale into account, that's generally a good rule of thumb, whereas smaller buildings will be closer to the high end and larger buildings closer to the low end. Okay, and you guys have been doing this for some pretty significant properties, right? Tell us about that. 
Yeah, so we've been doing this. Uh, we believe that we built the first indoor uh, distributed antenna system in the U.S. back in 1999. Uh, we built the first uh, DAS at uh, a major airport at JFK in 2001. Uh, we cover about 60% of North American air traffic uh, through our networks, and those networks are both cellular networks as well as Wi-Fi networks. Uh, we also do kind of beacon technology, Bluetooth, um, and we also cover uh, so. In the airport space, JFK, O'Hare, LaGuardia, Newark, um, small airports like St. Louis and Milwaukee, uh, Phoenix, uh, we're, we're, we're nationwide. And most people have experienced our service through traveling through those airports because when you use the Wi-Fi, you tend to see that it's a Boingo, uh, that it's Boingo Wi-Fi. Um, and outside of the airport space, we're in stadiums, arenas, hotels, cafes, malls, convention centers, office buildings. Uh, where it's a little less apparent that it's Boingo, but we're also providing the, those services as well. You're right. And I'm an Atlanta Falcons and Atlanta Hawks fan, so when I'm at the Hawks game, you know, I want to be able to take pictures and videos. I want to use my phone to send them around. So you guys are making that possible at the Hawks arena, right? Yeah, so Phillips Arena has done a really good job of leveraging technology to draw the fans in, create a very unique experience. Um, it's, you know, as, as Steve Coonan, the CEO of the Hawks, likes to say, you know, when you think of Phillips Arena, really think of Town Hall of Atlanta. Uh, there's over 250 events a year there. It's more than just basketball, it's concerts. And they've really got to build a platform that, that, that's suitable for everyone. And when people get to Phillips Arena, they want to connect. They want to connect with their network. The Hawks want to connect with their fans. Uh, and the network really enables a lot of that. So whatever their digital strategy is, whatever the technology that they're trying to implement or roll out, it almost always, and this is true in office space as well, it's almost always going to need a really robust network to enable. Uh, and so that's how we view ourselves is, is we build platforms that enable all of our customers to do the digital things that they want to do. Right, and it's so imperative today. So leave us with a tip. So if I own or, or manage a uh, facilities uh, like office building, what's a tip for us? So I'll give you a tipping point instead of a tip. Okay. So the, the tipping point has really started to happen. So we've been working in the commercial real estate office space for about three to four years. We've actually been involved for longer than that, but not at a, you know, not the scale that we are today. And three to four years ago, the conversation was more classic real estate. It was uh, building owners wanting money. It was building owners wanting to get paid for access to their building. Uh, and they didn't see it as so much a benefit for their existing tenants, but more as an opportunity to generate more revenue from the building. Uh, and what we've seen over the past, I'd say, you know, six to 12 months is building owners realizing that that connectivity is a utility. It is not, uh, it shouldn't be viewed as a mechanism for generating incremental rent or incremental NOI. It's really got to be looked at as a service that you have to provide. And we're really in this unique window where so few buildings have taken advantage of, of these services that you can create a differentiated product by deploying a system, uh, positioning your building as class A versus class B because you have better technology, uh, you know, attracting better tenants. And so I would say uh, the tip is don't look at this as an expense. Don't look at this as a revenue opportunity. Look at this as a way to, to invest incrementally in your building 
that will generate you uh, the returns consistent with the other investments you make in your building, whether it's landscaping, uh, cleaner windows, all those investments are made because there's a belief by the owner that they can generate incremental NOI. And I would argue that wireless is one of those tools, as you said with your tenant reps, you know, you can make or lose a tenant based on how technologically advanced your building is. That's right. And the tenants viewing the space, uh, they might be using some technology that, that we use when we're showing them the space to actually report on it and, and interact with us uh, about the different spaces we're showing them. So they're going to be using technology even when they're showing the space. I love it. It's a utility. It's not an add-on anymore. So, Doug, thanks for joining us. We appreciate you being on the show. Thank you. If you'd like to get more from Doug, visit their website. It's boingo.org. Com, right boingo.com and uh and uh, thanks for joining us on the radio stations on itunes on youtube uh, on commercial real estate show be sure to connect with us on twitter on linkedin on facebook we love to hear from you and until next week be sure that you always lead learn and laugh and join us for the commercial real estate show the commercial real estate show is brought to you by bull realty asset and occupancy solutions Excelligent, building data everywhere. Apto, your entire brokerage in the cloud. And get Valuate, online investment analysis. The best thank you, a referral to our sponsors. You can find them at CREshow.com.